This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The question of whether CEOs of America's major companies are overpaid has been a perennial subject of interest for many years. Are the compensation practices for these elite men and women fair and appropriate? Do these compensation practices provide proper incentives, or do they reward excessive caution or risk-taking? CEOs not only make a lot of money in terms of raw numbers, they make a lot of money relative to the people who toil outside the executive suite. According to one study, CEO pay relative to that of the average worker has soared in recent decades from a level of 30 to 1 in 1970 to 120 to 1 in the year 2000. What's more, the compensation of CEOs in one sector, financial services, outpaces that of CEOs who head non-financial companies. One study looked at a very select group, the people in the top one-tenth of one percent tax bracket. Executives of non-financial companies comprise 3.9% of this bracket, but in contrast, investment bankers comprised 5.2% and fund managers 4.8%. The amount of salary and bonuses paid to the top execs on Wall Street has been much in the news in the past year or two, and the debate over the compensation levels for these people shows no signs of abating. Of special interest on the part of many is whether the government should regulate executive pay in the financial services sector. Two Wharton accounting professors, John Corr and Wayne Gay, have just completed a study on this topic. Professor Corr was unable to join Knowledge at Wharton for an interview, but his co-author, Professor Gay, did sit down for a conversation, and he was joined by Chris Armstrong, another member of Wharton's accounting department. Well, Wayne and Chris, thanks for uh, joining us today. This is a a timely topic. It's one that uh, has been around for a while and, and apparently will never go out of style. Uh, given given the state of uh, pay scale among CEOs and other executives, so let's get started. Uh, Wayne, talking a little bit about the the paper uh, that you've written, can you just take a minute or two to summarize uh, why you wrote the paper and what its findings were? Sure, happy to be here and happy to do it. Uh, this was a paper that we wrote um, at the request. It was for a conference this past fall here at the Wharton School. Uh, the conference was titled "After the Crash: The Future of Finance." Uh, and it was co-sponsored by the Brookings Institution, the Wharton Financial Institution Center, and the Tokyo Club Foundation for Global Studies. And they asked us to uh, to provide uh, our insights on uh, regulating executive pay. As as many of you know, uh, last uh, last year, a good part of last year, uh, there was a lot of regula- regulatory issues and regula- regulation that was proposed surrounding executive pay, not just in the financial services industry, but but even potentially more broadly. And so in this paper, we try to put executive pay in some kind of a context, uh, try to look at financial, the executive pay in the financial services industry as compared to some other industries, and then almost point by point go through uh, a series of the different proposals for regulating pay that, that have been put forward and, and discuss some of the strengths and weaknesses of those proposals. The uh, You... You conclude in the paper that there really is um, no reason to regulate executive pay in, in financial services because, one, either the kind of the general overarching principles uh, espoused by regulators are already in place in, in these companies or in many of these companies, or, number two, because the proposals that regulators and others have made um, probably would not achieve their stated objectives. So, Wayne, can you just 
talk a little bit about that for a moment, please? Yeah, and I don't. I certainly don't want the paper to come across as as, as us saying uh, that this is. And I should also note that the the paper that I wrote was uh, was jointly written with uh, Professor John Core, who's also here at the Warden School. Uh, and we certainly don't want people to think that our view is that. Executive pay should not be regulated at all, that it should not be regulated in the financial services industry. Our point here is that uh, many of the the sort of overarching general guidelines that, that regulators and others have put forward regarding executive pay in many cases are already being largely followed by, by most firms. And that the, I think there is some room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. And and some of the proposals that have been put forward, I think, are a step in the right direction. Other proposals uh, uh, seem less likely to us to uh, to really get some serious change uh, or to even move things in the right direction. So I think our our point here is is that we need to really exercise caution and recognize that pay has been evolving at in many industries and at many firms for decades, and there are good reasons why we see a lot of things and that the you know the general notion that the whole thing should be thrown out and we should start over again I think is 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 wrong I think we probably want to take what we have there are a lot of good things in what we currently have in executive pay and make some changes to it potentially, but uh, not throw the whole thing out. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about some of those specifics in a minute, Wayne, but let's bring uh, Chris into the conversation. Chris, do you generally agree with the, the conclusion of the paper um, in its in its um, um, totality? Yeah, I think the, the conclusion that they reach is reasonable. I think it's a, a very well laid out argument where they walk through the proposal step by step, and I generally agree with most of most of their conclusions. Okay. Okay. The... Um, Wayne, uh, you mentioned in the paper that Secretary of the Treasury Tim Geithner has um, proposed five ideas that he said would better align compensation practices with the interests of shareholders uh, and also um, promote stability of individual financial firms and the financial system as a whole. And just very quickly, I'll just list a couple of those. One is that um, compensation plans should be properly measured, should should properly measure and reward performance, and they should be aligned with sound risk management. Um, just take those two examples for a minute. Do you think that, that, that most financial firms, most Wall Street firms are doing that at the moment? Yeah, I, I think there is this this general notion that uh, that there that there isn't any pay for performance at these firms. That these firms have largely ignored any uh, attempt to to tie pay for performance. And I I mean, looking at the data, uh, any any objective viewing of the data indicates that there's a substantial amount of pay for performance. And in fact, uh, if you compare the U.S. system with any of the other executive compensation plans in any other country. Countries around the world, uh, the U.S. plans uh, tie pay to performance uh, much, much more than in any other country in the world. Uh, and within the financial services industry specifically, what we look at in this paper is do we see any widespread differences, any systematic differences in the pay of top banking executives as compared to pay of top executives in, in other industries. And we really don't see much that's that's that different. So if people want to levy an argument against executive compensation, levying it against uh, bankers or top pay, uh, pay for top executives in banking firms of the financial services industry, it, it doesn't seem like there's anything specific to that industry. Um, that, that we could find anyway. Chris? Just to interject for a second, I think the, the 
term pay for performance is somewhat misleading as well as they talk about uh, in the in the paper that it's really that the change in wealth that we should be looking at as a measure of incentives and focusing on the annual f- flow pay, so the salary uh, that a CEO gets, that might not be as sensitive to performance, but their overall equity portfolio is much more sensitive. And those those changes represent real changes in, in wealth to the, the CEO. So you're saying then that if, if a company does not perform well in a given period of time, its stock will uh, decline in value and therefore the CEO... His portfolio will right, and that's how well. that's how he or she takes the hit. That's a- the big yeah, and I think that Chris is right. That's one of the biggest misconceptions about paper performance. It, it's it's very oftentimes people will look at the CEO's annual bonus or their salary, and they'll say, "Boy, the company didn't do that well this year. The bonus didn't drop by as much as I think it should have. There doesn't seem to be any pay for performance." But what we're missing in that analysis is that the the executives or the CEO might have tens of millions of dollars of of stock and options that he's being required to hold in the organization. And then if the firm's stock price drops by 30% or 50% or more, there's a substantial decline in the in the value of that individual's wealth. And that's where he really does take take the hit. Um, and also I think recognizing to some to a large extent that the whole point of paper performance is to provide the executives with incentives. So I think it's oftentimes people can get almost a little emotional about paper performance. And, the, and what immediately comes to mind with paper performance is rewards and punishment, that we should be rewarding and punishing people. But shareholders don't care so much about reward and punishment unless those rewards and punishments provide incentives for the executives to do a good job. So the whole notion of paper performance and rewards and punishments re- should revolve around does the executive have incentives to do what's in the best interests of shareholders? And that's where the stock and the options and all the equity pay that the executive has been getting uh, and accumulates over time uh, is providing the, ince- the incentives. Now, uh, in the paper's introduction, Wayne, you mentioned that uh, the controversy over executive pay, uh, not only in financial firms, but in uh, all U.S. corporations, has been a uh, a topic that's been debated for, for many decades, really. Um, but as we all know, it came to the fore within the last 18 or 24 months because of the calamity on Wall Street and the public and, and, and outcry over uh, CEO salaries and bonuses. Um, it, it seems to me that, that taxpayers and politicians and others disapprove of these levels of compensation um, precisely because the leaders of these firms, in the words of Treasury Department officials, nearly brought the financial system worldwide to, a, to collapse, to, you know, to destruction. And do you think it's a reasonable question for, for anyone to ask why are these people still paid 5 or 10 or $15 million a year when they engaged in such irresponsible activity? Yes, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, it's certainly the case that the reason that CEO pay attracts so much attention is because it's a it's a lot of money. I mean, there's no way of getting around this that the CEOs of large corporations make an awful lot of money and the dollar values are extremely high. That by itself doesn't tell us anything in particular about whether the CEOs are overpaid uh with, you know, with respect to how much they should be paid. I mean, lots of 
professions are paid a lot of money. We have uh, doctors and lawyers and hedge fund managers and uh, and actors and musicians and lots of people get paid a lot of money. So to put that in perspective, we need some kind of a benchmark. So where do you where do you find benchmarks for how much is a, the right amount to pay a CEO? Um, and in the paper, we try to try to come up with a few of the benchmarks. I mean, one thing we showed that has been shown by many other authors is that um, the pay of CEOs tends to go up with the size of the organization that they're running. And so uh, as uh, firms have gotten bigger over time, executive pay has gotten bigger because it's a much harder job to run a very complex, global, large organization. Um and we also try to put it in context with, um, say, hedge fund managers or private equity fund managers and try to benchmark their pay levels, uh, which are you know, largely uh, dictated by you know, outside of the, the regulatory uh, eye and outside of you know, the, the, uh, having shareholders that are involved in the pay setting process. And we also try to benchmark the, the U.S. executives' pay with uh, pay around the world in other countries. And in the paper, we come up with various arguments for why it's just not so clear that the pay levels are, are completely out of whack. Um, but at the same time, there's just no getting around that it, that it will attract attention, that, um, that the income disparity between the highest paid individuals and the, the typical worker have been increasing over time. And that's drawn a lot of attention, uh, and maybe it should. Uh, but we want to think carefully about what we do about that. Do you think that there are uh, – I mean, do you have any – yourself, any personal views on whether the aggregate numbers, the aggregate level of CEO pay – just from kind of a common sense standpoint, is is just too high. Uh, you know, in the paper, of course, you focus on financial firms, but uh, CEOs in, in non-financial firms sometimes make fifty and sixty million dollars a year for uh, for the, the the services they provide. And I think those numbers rattle around in the minds of average citizens who just think that on its face, it's just incomprehensible. Because uh, as you mentioned a moment ago, the ratio of uh, CEO pay as a multiple of worker pay has just skyrocketed in, in recent years. Yeah. I mean, would you, yeah. Chris, do you want to talk about that for a sec? Go ahead. Yeah, at first glance, it might seem like a pretty high number, but when you stop and put it into perspective and consider the types of decisions that these executives are making, it can have uh, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars of impact on shareholder value, even billions of dollars of shareholder value. <clears throat> so from that perspective, uh, as a fraction of the value that they're potentially create, creating, or in some cases destroying, uh, it's, it's actually a relatively small percentage. Have, have compensation practices changed in recent years um, to reflect the concerns of people that CEO pay have has perhaps gotten too high in some cases? Well, the levels of CEO pay certainly have not uh, have not gone down over the last couple of decades. In fact, they've gone up, um, as we we show in the paper. Uh, in the last couple of years, they've they've come down, and in part as response to the the poor performance of a lot of firms, both in the financial services industry and outside. Um, but but pay has changed. It certainly has changed over time. Not the level so much. As the structure of pay, the transparency with uh, about pay, uh, the pay setting process, say that the board of directors, the independence with which CEO pay is set, um, and and I would point that. I mean, I, I come to I just spend a minute on that that process that. 
if we think that CEOs are overpaid, a natural thing to think about is, well, why is that? Uh, and one of the common reasons it's put forward is that the process that the board goes through to set pay is flawed, that that boards are not uh, independent of the CEO, that boards are, uh, CEOs are entrenched, they control the board, CEOs set their own pay. Uh, it's not an independent process. Um, but that's where I think tremendous inroads have been made over the last 10 or 20 years. Boards are largely independent, much more independent now than they were 20 years ago. Compensation committees are completely independent. The amount of advice that the the boards are getting uh, from outside consultants uh, and elsewhere, benchmarking is a much more common thing to do. So, the, and, and the disclosures and the transparency about what the board is doing has increased tremendously. And through all of those changes, we haven't seen the levels of pay go down for CEOs. And so my interpretation of that is that the level of pay is not really the problem in the sense that the process by which pay is set seems to be getting better and better and better, and still we don't see the level of pay going down. That says to me that the level of pay is largely dictated by market forces uh, as opposed to being something that's that's flawed. Okay. Um some people would say that, that there is no real market for uh, among CEOs. I mean, we're talking about a relatively small number of people who kind of all know one another. Boards of directors, as you know, share members amongst large companies. I mean, is it a true market or, or, or not? I mean, is there, is there real competition among the men and women who vie for these positions in order to make and in a sense, to keep salaries as low as they may be? I mean, how, how do you well, feel about Well, I can tell it? you that every MBA that graduates in the United States would love to have one of these jobs. So, you know, it, it, you know these are the top five or 10,000 jobs that, that just about every business student and non-business student strives to attain. So there certainly isn't a lack of people competing for these jobs. Uh, with respect to the the issues you talk about with there being a fairly small community, I mean, it certainly is the case that, that board members uh, are typically CEOs at other firms. Um, but the system is fairly cognizant of that and tries to be transparent uh, with respect to uh, independencies or dependencies between those executives. And, and there has been some research on the extent to which that's an issue. Chris might want to add something to that. The flip side of that, and this is just anecdotal, is the average tenure of a CEO is not that long, and I think it's declined slightly over time. Do, do you have a good estimate of what that is now? I think it's in, in the ballpark of maybe six years, okay, five to seven years. Something yeah. around there, so... Yeah. To me, that doesn't speak to uh, – that That looks like a pretty competitive labor market. I think the point you're raising is that uh, boards are m- much more likely to throw out a bad CEO today than they were 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and so if you want to keep your job as a CEO, you need to do a good job uh, knowing that the board is, is in all likelihood going to throw you out if you don't. We talk a little bit, if you could, about the uh, about the role of Ken Feinberg, the, the so-called Pazar, uh, w- within the Treasury Department, and what he is trying to do um, at this point vis-a-vis executive compensation. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Feinberg was was uh, um, appointed by the Treasury Department to oversee compensation for some of the the TARP firms that had received special assistance. And to try to overhaul some of the pay practices there. And, and 
You know, some of the things that, that were proposed, uh, things like clawing back bonuses that were shown to be received through, say, fraudulent accounting or, uh, you know, those types of issues, reducing severance packages uh, was another uh, big thing, uh, increasing some of the disclosures and transparency, making sure that compensation committees are are independent. Those are some of those things are more sort of maybe a little less controversial. Uh, but the big thing that Mr. Feinberg was trying to do is to, to get executives in the U.S. to hold more stock, to hold it for a longer period of time, to have less of their pay in the form of cash, more of their pay in the form of equity, um, and real focus on getting these executives to hold more equity with the idea that by holding more equity, their interests would be more closely aligned with the shareholders. Um, and although that is, it's a perfectly reasonable uh, endpoint to have the executives align with shareholders, one of the things we point out, I think, pretty clearly in the paper is that U.S. CEOs and top executives already have a tremendous amount of their wealth invested in equity. Uh, Mr. Feinberg's plan, as we show in the, in, the, in the paper, would not add very much equity to what these executives already have. The U.S. executives already hold many times more stock and options than CEOs of any other country in the world. So uh, it's just not clear to us that that's really one of the problems that's out there, and we would suggest focusing on other things other than uh, trying to get these executives to hold more equity. Um, if we can wrap this up then with uh, – and let me kind of throw this open to both of you. Um, what sorts of changes would you like to see made um, in the way uh, executives, CEOs, and others are rewarded each year? Uh, what You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you weren't totally against changes and or totally against um, maybe some new regulations. But what would you personally like to see? What do you think would be some good steps for – corporations to take along these lines? I'll just give one and then I'll turn it over to Chris. I mean, the, one of the things that I think should should be a focal point is, is over the last 10 or 15 years, the SEC and others have, have tried to get firms to have more transparent disclosure about how much they're paying their CEOs. What they really haven't spent a lot of time in, on is transparency and disclosure with respect to incentives. So right now, one of the big issues is, is do executives have uh, – do CEOs have r too many risk-taking incentives? Did they have – did the financial services CEOs have incentives to take undue amounts of risk? Uh, Mr. Geithner's and Mr. Feinberg's proposals have talked about making sure that you, you're not encouraging risk-taking uh, amongst your executives. But there's almost no disclosure uh, in the in the corporate filings about risk taking incentives. So, as a, as a, a researcher, economist, a, a academic, I mean, I can go try to compute some measures myself, but but they're going to be noisy because the the transparency uh, isn't fully there with respect to estimating incentive structures. So, I would I would ask the the SEC to think carefully about, uh, and in part, large part because. It's very difficult to know whether an executive has too much or too little of any type of incentives unless you know how much they have and how much they should have. And so until we know how much they have, it's going to be very hard for anyone to figure out whether they have too much or too little. Uh, Chris? Chris? Yeah, I'd like to echo Wayne's comments. Uh, I, I think that increased disclosure is clearly the first place to start. Uh, increased disclosure can uh, put more information out there and let the market forces go to work if executives are paid, quote-unquote, too high, the market would more easily see that. It's just difficult to 
I think, regulate by making blanket statements saying that pay should be such and such at a certain at all firms without taking taking into consideration certain differences that you might want to affect across firms. Okay. All right. Well, Wayne Gay, Chris Armstrong, thank you very much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.